Happy Thanksgiving, y'all, kind of, and (laughs) welcome to Everything Trying to Kill You, the podcast that analyzes and makes fun of your favorite horror movies. I'm Mary Kay. I'm Rachel. I'm Mary. And in observance of the upcoming Thanksgiving holiday, I wanted to choose a movie that represented in some way the Native American people. I thought that we should do the movie Wind River because, number one, it's awesome, and uh, number two... Well, there are other reasons, but we'll get to those. Um, This movie is written and directed by Taylor Sheridan, and you can rent it for $4 on Amazon, and I think it's totally worth $4, personally. It used to be on Netflix, I think, and hopefully they'll bring it back Like by the time that you guys are listening to this. You're going to want to watch it multiple times. It's not only a really compelling storyline, but it is also, I think, really well executed. Yeah? Agreed. Oh, it's it's a really fascinating movie with a lot of... A lot. I, I think in the in the outline I wrote a whole last thing to unpack. Yeah. Because there's so complication. Everywhere. Before we get into the unpacking, let's just do a real easy low stakes icebreaker. It's a two parter. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And I have a point in doing this. So the first part is what's your favorite Western? And the second part is what's your dad's favorite Western? Rachel, go first. That's the way we introduced ourselves, so Rachel okay. goes first. <laughs> so my favorite would be True Grit, the Love remake. It. Great choice. Yes. Right. Um, yeah. And my daddy's favorite is a very good question because I think that he would say it's one of the classic John Wayne films. He would say okay. that. But actually, I know him that it would be Tombstone. I think that's my dad's favorite movie ever. So, but because you said it, I'm going to go with his number two favorite. But it's Mary's turn. It's my turn? Yeah. I, um, so I said, Dad, what's your favorite Western? And he did this. Okay, you guys can't see it, but he did this face. <laughs> and I said. It's a blank emoji, you guys. <laughs> no, I did a whole eye expression. You couldn't see it. That's what he does. And then I said, okay, I'm sorry. Backtrack. Do you like Westerns? And he went. And I said, okay, what movies do you like? And he said, I don't know. A river runs through it, maybe. That's a Western, isn't it? No, no. I don't know. Aren't they just like fishing or something? I don't know. I've never seen it. Yeah, I think they're fly fishing out west. Okay, but... I mean, it's not like a shoot 'em up That's Western. what I was going to say. Like, I, I don't... The, not like a Western Western. It just is set in the American gotcha. West. Would Vival Goes West count? Yeah. Girl, I was going to say Blazing Saddles. Because I think I might need to change my answer. My... <laughs> Oh, no, no. Girl, girl, you in the wrong Fievel movie. <laughs> You're looking for that one the sister sings, like, dreams to dream in the dark <laughs> of the night. That, that, that she's like, that where's bitch. the girl you left behind? <laughs> that bitch was a hot-ass mouse. She was fine. <laughs> she knew what was up. But Wait, so Mary, what's your favorite Western? Oh, cheaply, I obviously say Blazing Saddles. Oh, yeah, okay. I thought you might say Django, actually. I thought that's where you were going to go with it. No, nah, come on. Blazing Saddles. Oh, you don't like Tarantino. That's right. I and don't you do dis- love Burt Reynolds. And that was filmed in my hometown. What, Blazing Saddles? No, no. We're thinking about different yes, things. That's right. We're no, we're different- not. They're, my grandfather's department store is in the background. Oh, I was thinking um, I loved it because I, I love Gene Wilder. Oh, yeah. I forgot about it. It's been so long since I've seen that movie. Um, so, like I said, my dad's number one favorite movie, I think, maybe of all time is Tombstone. But I know he also really, really, really loves Lonesome Dove and quotes it 
all the time without I think without realizing that he's quoting it because I saw it and I was like that's not your joke daddy yeah when we that ain't yours when we were watching (laughs) when Mindy Project was like airing live and uh Jody first like existed I was like I I don't I don't know how Mary Kay is like handling this particular love interest I love that character he is a dopey comic relief in my favorite Western, which is No Country for Old Men. Fair enough. Which is also horror, which when summer rolls around, I'm going to have to finally pick. I've seen it so many times I can quote it from memory. Like most of it, like the mummy level memorization for me. He's um, Ed Tom Bell's deputy where, and just so you guys know who are listening, like if you're like, I don't know what character she's talking about. When they see the glass of milk sweating on the coffee table... He's like, oh, Sheriff, look. Oh, no, we got to call this in. And then Tommy Lee Jones is like, what are we going to do? Put it over the radio looking for a man who has recently drunk milk. Anyway, in case you're wondering like who he is, like, that's, that's that. Um, the reason I had that as our icebreaker is because my first question is, how does Wind River differ from or maintain some of the classic like Western or Cowboys and Indians tropes? And I thought we would start at the obvious place, which is cowboys and Indians tropes are like dichotomies among ethnicities. It's (laughs) scary, but go, go, yeah. I mean, it's scary in that, like, for me, there are a couple layers on that, right? Like, it's scary because we actually do have to still talk about this. It's scary Mm -hmm. because, like, generations of genocide are still happening just in this, like, really bureaucratic way, and that's terrifying. And, uh still happening and not being acknowledged just like they never have been that sucks and in movies typically in the westerns which we just quote like we just cited a whole bunch of our favorite westerns but even in many of those which some of some of which are very recent um you have like this is a white man's quest and all of your like you have your noble savage trope usually in the western where it's like oh he's gonna help me but he'll die a noble death. Like, that's usually how it goes down um, in, in the Western. And like all of the others, all the other natives are just, you know, savages. Right. Or they're just straight up bad guys. On the one hand, there was a lot of complication and portrayal. If there's the sense that there's no chance for advancement, that there's nowhere to go, and that leaving would be abandonment, then you stay, you stagnate, you suffer. And you mean like leaving leaving the the reservation would be abandonment? Yeah, it could, right. could feel like abandonment. So like I, I thought that that was you know it was clear that like like so the kids that were in the house full of drugs, right? These weren't monster human. They'd all known these guys since they were children. Like the, the, all their families knew each other. These weren't monsters. These were actual humans. And you know this is kind of what has been happening. But they kind for of the like last twenty made years made them out to be monsters from the very beginning. Like oh those those kids and they made it seem like they were and see it didn't stand out that way to me because the fact that they could refer to them by name immediately told me like oh no mm-hmm. everyone everyone here knows everyone here and their the connections yeah. here are really intense like if you that like where i went to high school was not small town no no i understand that they're not like saying that they're like savages that they have a name but like they're like the um the undesirables you know what i mean they're definitely pariahs right like that's, they definitely like, and I, I see both, I see both what y'all are saying. And also I kind of see it cause I am 
elderly, basically. Like, I kind of see it as, oh, you pissed your life away. Like, that's, you're mad at me because you pissed your life away? That's what I got from it, was that, like, there was a lot of, like, sort of like a, a bitterness and a hurt from the people that we see yeah. talking about those kids in the house because they're the people who raised them and this is where they are now. So even if they understand how they got yeah. there, it hurts. They feel like a failure based on like the transitive property. It is sickening. It <laughs> yeah. is frustrating. It makes you angry to watch. So yeah, I didn't feel like on the one hand there, there was, there was plenty of complication presented to the idea of like, what do you do? Like, what is the, what is the healthy thing to do? What is the community oriented thing to do? How do you take care of yourself without harming the people you love? And yet, all of this is being presented to us by a white dude. Yeah, I wanted to talk about that too because that's what that's normally how you enter a western, right? Is but with the good old boy. Usually a veteran, not always, but a tracker, hunter, veteran, rough rider type situation. And we've got it here in practice yeah. and metaphor, right? In that we've got yes. The the festering dick that is Jeremy Renner. I mean, he gives a great performance. Jeremy Renner as a human sure seems like a festering dick. I don't know if you're not, call us, dude. Like, please explain yourself. You got Jeremy Renner in the context of the story, but you also have the writer-director who was a white dude and was like, oh no, this is terrible. I want to call attention to this, which is admirable. And then has also gotten pushback from Native communities saying, okay, but when you write the line where someone says that the reservation is, is miserable and they're going to die here never having accomplished anything... There's a bit of a sting there because that that that's that's for us to say, not you. I hear that, and yet I'm still glad the story is being told. So many things can be true, and I also, I mean, this kind of goes into like my next point, which is um, it seems like, and I didn't go into a ton of research here, so I could be wrong, but it seems like all of the characters who are playing Native American characters are Native Americans. They might not be all from the same tribe or like from that right. region of, but it seems like they did a responsible job in the casting. Also, please go look up the guy who plays Chip. When I tell you real life Cocoam. <gasps> to the best of my understanding, you are accurate in that. Especially. Yes, um, I actually watched this with my stepmother who is, well, she's Filipino and Native American. But she was like, look at him in real life. And I was like, holy shit, do you know him? And she's like, no, Mary Kay, we don't all know each other. And I was like, I <laughs> well, she had a picture of him on her phone. She was like, look at him. And I was like, oh, my God, Tanya, you know him? And she was like, no. <laughs> but she does. She is friends with the guy who does or used to do the ceremony. Yeah, but my stepmom is friends with the guy who used to do the ceremony like uh, for the Brave Stadium. The oh, I cannot remember his name. It's a complicated Cherokee name, but which I think is pretty cool. Like they, he he was friends with her uh, mom and stuff. Anyway, Graham Greene, who plays uh, Ben, the uh, the reservation authority, yeah, is like national treasure, wonderful. Like, ah, mm-hmm. uh, just there's like so much weight and warmth he brings to that. Yes. to that role and to this story, which is why I feel they did him real dirty. But also, I mean... Well, yeah, he's the good guy. <laughs> That's how it goes. Um, but it basically, like, everyone dies in this movie. Yeah. Spoiler alert, by the way, we're going to spoil the shit out of this for you. You guys should have caught on to that 
earlier. The white people yeah. do significantly better percentage-wise. Yes. There's like... Well, in, in life as in art. Yeah, there's like four of them, and they come out real strong, and then the like dozen Native there's characters... more than four, but yes, you're right. I also want to go on record and say that Martin Hansen, the actor who plays him, is quite possibly the most beautiful man. Martin Hansen? End of sentence. Yes, the the character is the character's name is Martin Hansen. Mm-hmm. The actor who plays oh him Gil Birmingham is incredibly beautiful. Gil yes. Birmingham as del- can get it delightful in comedy he as is he is so... moving in drama a yes. treasure. Oh my a god! Treasure. Every time he was on screen, I was like, oh my god! I also think that character is the most compelling character yes. in the whole movie, and he has very few scenes. Yes, so. the scene where. He's telling the Fed cop off, and then yeah, he gets the knock on his door, and it's his that buddy. And then he broke starts, me. Oh my god! When he find when he see they're obviously very good friends, right? Like kid, their yeah. daughters were good that, friends. That, They've that, known each that, other that their whole lives. Like how he was so hard and so cold. And then he sees someone he was so close with, and he became a complete opposite. Oh, my God. That also, I've only seen that happen in real life, like where a very tough man breaks. And it will will destroy you. Because you know that he's tough, and he's been holding it together. His wife is losing her shit. And then he walks out on the front porch and sees Corey, who he knows knows exactly how he feels their daughters died the same way like a year and a half or three years apart very powerful and when the when ben closes the door and you hear him crying from inside that that honestly like i don't cry at movies very much but yeah i was a hot ass mess here's the thing that sequence means something totally different when you're watching it for the first time and when you've seen the whole movie because at that point in the story we don't know about his daughter. We don't know how she died. So in that exact moment, I read it as like, oh, the ignorant white person versus the in the know white person. This white person is allowed because he has learned the things and this white person is not. And by the end of the movie, that scene sat very differently with me. But the second time I watched it through, I was like, oh, that's an interesting choice because it really does set you up for some expectation that like there's something kind of cloying here or oh no except that then you later find out oh that's that is it's not about he's the white guy who's allowed it's that he's the father who gets what i'm going through and um, yeah but i think i think he's also the white guy who's allowed because in westerns traditionally and in horror movies traditionally you have a white savior and chip calls him out he's like you couldn't protect your daughter and then, of course, you know, he bangs his head on the scene in front of him, which who could blame him? Yeah, I, no, I no, like, that was justified. Shut that fucker up. Yeah, shut that fuck. Yeah. That's the thing, though. As a as a trope, like, that that is that is challenging for me to, like, then identify with that character. But on the whole, like, I, 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 I found that a really interesting choice to delay that reveal of Corey's backstory so far into the story and that... Ultimately, um, while he may be the white guy who's allowed, in that moment especially, it's not just that like this is the white guy they all know and they're fine with, but that in that exact moment, what exactly what he was going through, Corey was the only person that could yes. that could get it. And I, I thought, oh, okay, that's a but really interesting way of constructing that. 
It definitely is. I thought that the storytelling was really well paced and I'm glad that we didn't find that out until later. Otherwise it would have been kind of uh, precious if that makes sense. Yes, absolutely. So I think Corey is the white one who's allowed for several reasons. Number one, it seems like he did grow up on the reservation. We don't really get his family story. We know they've been there a long time and they were forced there. But we, other than that, we don't really know. Um, second thing is his wife is Native American, Arapaho, right? Um, and his daughter is Arapaho as well. And so he, and his son. he does know that experience. And his son. So, yeah, and his, and his son. But, I mean, the son is, like, much smaller. And the son is, you know, even, like, and I thought this was adorable where he's like, that was pretty cowboy, huh? And then his dad is like, nope. Yeah, <laughs> no, I like not. that. <laughs> yeah. Mary Kay, did you ever have experiences where, like, your dad, like, pushed you back to, like, not, I don't mean that negatively. That sounds really, like, violent or whatever. But yeah, I mean, please like. please explain what you mean. <laughs> where your dad, like, nudged you towards your mother's and your mother's family's heritage. Because my dad has done that with us several times growing up where he, like, felt like, like, even sometimes it was just jokes. But often it was, like, a really deliberate like nudging back towards Trinidadian culture because he knew that if we got older and we felt like we hadn't connected with it, that we were going to be disappointed. Now, granted, you grew up around your family much more so than I did. So that may have been a non-issue. I mean, he would, he would tell me stories about like the other side of the family, but they weren't together when I was growing up. So I don't think he was too keen on being reminiscent of like the Lebanese culture. <laughs> um, but I, I mean, like he does even now. He'll be like, I won't ever forget. Like, I mean, he knows all like the words we use and stuff like that. Um, and he did caution me, like as a kid, when I would say, like, my all my baby words were Arabic words. Like, but I do remember like saying "siti" and "jiddo," and he was like, "You, when you're talking to people who aren't in your family, you should say my grandmother or my grandfather because they won't know what you mean." And I was like, why do I have to do that? And he was like, you don't have to. I'm just, like, I'm just saying. I love that. I love to. that that was your yeah. reaction. Yeah. Well, I was like four when he told me that too. It's like, why don't they know? I don't understand. I think to like some degree, like, I'm, and I say this not just because like I'm assuming what my father thinks, but because I know other white guys who have had families with women of color, that there's this kind of like, you know, the, the guys always say like, oh, you know. Now that I have a daughter, I finally understand why women don't want to be raped. Like, now that I, my whole family is people of color besides me, now I suddenly have this, like, perspective on it. And also this weird, like, protective nature that, like, oh, God, I'm the one that people listen to. Um, so there's this kind of pressure on it. And I and I, I thought that, I loved that moment where he's like, no, it, it's a wrap. Like, no, 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 no. It's important that you understand that the way we're approaching this animal, that, the, like, the the mindset and technique we're using no 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 it's important that you understand that this is heritage and not just like my personal expertise and i i re, I, I i that was really lovely to me and and i appreciated that as a very very much a like white parent like making sure that you've got all your bearings and all of your like all of you i i really yeah, love that and i i think that he says that too about uh, their daughter mm-hmm. because when he's explaining it to Jane also Jane catches a lot of shit from this community but she really is doing her best and she knows what is going on 
And she's like, I know I'm not much help, but at this point, I'm all you yeah. have. So, like, let's let's do this together. And even Ben goes up to her and he's like, I really appreciate your passion. That's very uncharacteristic for your position. Hell yeah. Like a, and, Great performance. Yeah. Aesthetically, you'd Great. never believe Elizabeth Olsen could, like, be a ball buster. And she is the baddest yeah. bitch like she does great she she's is great. the baddest bitch she's great yeah and i love how also and this is another part of just great storytelling um we we don't get her name but uh Corey's mother-in-law when she's giving her the clothes because she comes from vegas so she doesn't have any warm weather or cold weather stuff um and she's like this is your this is you don't get to have this you need to bring it back what were they thinking sending you here like and Jane is like, I was the closest person. And she was not close. That's the thing. Like, she wasn't close at all. And I think that that shows, like, a huge dis- like disconnection between Native pop- Native population, Native Americans in the reservations and the-, the care that our government is providing, which is none. Like, because... And that even they know, like, I'm used to getting no help. Like, that's a line in the movie. Yeah. It's like, don't look at me. Yeah. I'm used to this. Well, like, yeah. really entrench all that shit bureaucratically, too, right? Like, oh, you're, you're, you're sovereign land. Oh, now we can't help you. But that's what you wanted, right? Was, like, I mean, it's, it's, it is a, it is a, a bureaucratic nightmare and jane is even like help me help you and mark this a fucking homicide and he's like i can't i'll lose my job that's the thing if everyone does their job and she's like fucking thank you yeah if if everyone does their job honorably everyone's fucked (laughs) i mean basically because that's the way the checks and balances are set up Mm -hmm. Um, fortunately they find another body very shortly and then they're able to get a crew out (laughs) Or team out. So fortunate. Um, but anyway, other tropes of both the Native American or just, and I'm using air quotes here, the Native in horror movies. <laughs> like, this is something that Mary said at the convention. If you tell me one more time that the reason for this haunting is that it's set on a Native American fucking burial ground. <laughs> And then I added, I will break this window. I'm so sick of that shit. Also, we were, it's <laughs> like important. We talked about it before, but. It's important that you know we were in a windowless room. Yes. Mary Kay was going to generate a window. Fuck and that shit up. <laughs> Come at you with the shards. going to break the metaphorical window. <laughs> she was going to stab you to death with her window shards for using. Right. A fucking culture as a tool. So I'm really glad that we didn't have that mm-hmm. <laughs> in this movie. Same. And then speaking of tropes in Westerns and in horror movies, we have your white savior. And we talked about Corey, but we haven't talked about Matt. I just, um, I just kept having to pause the movie. Every like seven words he said, I was like, shut the fuck up, you met. Oh my fucking... Um, I love John Bernthal. Everyone with my whole body. I think everyone needs to know that I just turned all the way the fuck around and curled up in a ball in my chair because I, it's not just, it's like, it's John Bernthal, right? And he's a security guard on a drilling site. And you know what he says? (laughs) Do you know what this motherfucker says to this woman? She shows up at his door. He says, do you know how fucking happy I am to see you? (gasps) <gasps> what? 
Yeah, everything <laughs> about so cuddly this and happy. Are there men that in this whole situation? I'm gonna have to like opt out of the conversation. What'd you say? It's too hard for me. Um. So to lighten the mood, this man that I'm dating now, um, loves this movie, and, um. I was like, I almost did this thing where, because I knew he was coming over, but I was like, I almost put on a towel, and then when you got here, just going to open the door and be like, do you have any idea how good it is to see you? <laughs> <laughs> he was like, you should have done it. And I was like, um, maybe next time. <laughs> but you would have had to wear it. cold out. You would have had to wear like the dude style towel where it's only around your waist. Yeah, I wasn't ready for that. <laughs> okay, well. Well, I mean, yeah, if you want to do it like half titted, then fine. I don't do anything half tit. Are you serious? Look at me. I know it's tattooed on your arm. Not the good arm, but whatever. Um, no half tit. <laughs> can we get that? Can we just get that on our other arm? So Mary Kay and I got tattoos together. I'm sure we've talked about this on the show before, but on our on the just above the crease in our arms on the like the inner side of our arms, it says "No half measures," which is a quote from Breaking. That's from Breaking Bad, from Breaking which Bad. is also a western. Ah, uh, you know what? I'm 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 here for that. Oh, I never thought of that. I'm here for that. Yes. But when we went to get the tattoos, the guy was like, "Mary Kay went first. Um, we're both hungover, but real hungover. But she's had more tattoos <laughs> this than was I, years ago. Years. So, she, but she's had more tattoos than I have. So she was like, "All right, I'm taking point. I'm gonna go first. I'm gonna go first. And also, she'd worked with this artist before. He did her beautiful piece with the poppies on her shoulder, and the one on my back, and oh, the one right. on my leg. But the leg one is newer." Yeah, yeah, and also the, the others are text, but the poppies are like right. gorgeous imagery. So, um, so she's like, "I'll go oh, first. Thank you. And she, uh, so she like sticks her arm. Out. He's like, "So which arm do you want it on?" She said, "Oh, put it on my left arm. I don't want it to be the first thing people see when I go to shake their hand." And I was like, "Bitch, I do. I'm a fuck them up. They're gonna reach for yeah, to shake my hand, and my hand's gonna be like, <laughs> "What have you done with your life?" <laughs> it's a quote from Mike. By the way, you guys mm-hmm. know Mike mm-hmm. from Breaking Bad. Um, so you can check out that monologue of no half measures if you want It's to fantastic. Later. Yeah, it's real good. Actually, I'll link to it in the show notes. That's perfect. So y'all can watch that scene. Yeah. Um, okay, so we're going back to John Berndahl, the most beautiful country boys. I don't think he's even from the country. But he is absolutely not. He does that accent, though. Yeah, he's from like Detroit or something, right? I remember watching Walking Dead the first time, and while he is talking to Rick in Walking Dead, I was like, holy shit, this guy sounds like where I grew up. His southern yeah, accent, his really Georgia rural it. accent yeah. is exactly right. Yes. Far it's and away. Exactly perfect. Far and away, I think the best accent in the first season. Am I wrong? Oh, by far. I mean, Morgan's is really good, too, in the first yeah, season. Yeah, yeah, it is. It is. But I mean, John Bernthal was, everyone else sounded like such trash. And the second John Bernthal came on screen, I was like, oh, no, he knows what's up. Which is especially funny because... Bitch, you mean meaning to tell me you've been hearing this shit your whole life and you still can't turn off the fucking lights. Exactly. So here's the fun part. Um, John (laughs) Bernthal is a very nice Jewish man from D.C. I knew he was Jewish. I knew it. Well, yeah, his name is Bernthal. I'm not surprised either. His name is Bernthal. So he uh, also studied at Moscow Art Theater School. So he lived in Russia for many years and speaks Russian. That's hot, too. Mm-hmm. He went to Harvard for his MFA in uh, in uh, acting. And uh, yeah, so he's just good at accents. He's incredible. Is there anything more delightful in a human man? Depends on the accent, honestly. Fair. But if they can do the accent they and then drop it whenever they want, that's fun. As long as it's not British, unless you're Tom Hardy. Well, if it's good. If it's good, I don't care what it is. I'm just going to be fascinated. Mm -hmm. 
What accent? Okay. No British. You don't like British accents at all? Like any I like variation? I British. Oh, okay. Peaky Blinders British? I'm good with that. Like a London accent. Cockney British? I'm good with that. Yeah, but if you look at... No London. Scottish is fine. Cockney? Irish isn't Cockney from London? Yeah, but it's like working class. That's what London. I'm saying. Like That's working different. class London. That's what I'm referencing. But you know what she means. But She's not talking Cockney. about the bougie British. Yes, exactly. I'm talking exactly. about like Lane on Mad Men. Exactly. Accent. Yes. I, d- I love Jared Harris. I hate his accent. The posh. Posh accent. Yes. No, no. Like yeah, most no. London mm-hmm. accents now. I like now, the gritty ones only. Most London accents now, like they're not Cockney, but they're like way closer to that than, yeah. Oh, I had one kind of point on the white savior thing. Which was, um, okay. so like discussing white saviors, um, I, I put the note in there that like the having the first half, not going to lie, except wrong ways. Like the first half of the movie, I was like, oh, it's not going to be a white savior narrative, right? Like they're trying, they're coming up against it. They can't be successful without collaborate. Like surely, like that's where we're going, right? Is that these these white people cannot come into a community and save it from itself. And then the only people still alive. <laughs> At the end of this, that's not no, no. I, that's not true. They're not the only ones still alive at the end. At the end of the shootout, but there were only like two people in there at all that were not white. I know. I just mean that, uh, like, like I said, it's it's kind of this proportionate thing. Like, who gets the most screen time? Who has the most dialogue? Who has the most weight in a story? Like, right, right. Like, whose choices are propelling it, as opposed to who shows up with the information and vanishes. I was like, man, I. I'm I'm so happy that this not happy god that sounds terrible I am grateful I am like humbled that this exists and that the story is being told do you remember when Caitlin um hi Caitlin she's one of our listeners she is our Twitter friend um so she listened to our episode about Hush and wrote a whole ass brilliant brilliant piece can we put that in the show notes is that a thing we can do yes um and she made the point that like you know, Eric, our, our beloved editor, was on that episode. And he was like, ah, I thought it would have been more compelling if she died. And she was like, no, fuck, no. We always die. Disabled people always die. I was so fucking happy to see a story in which a person with a disability, like, lived to see the end of it. And I kind of felt that way here, where I was like, ah, oh, man, yeah. Yeah, the noble savage always dies. And the the... The so many of like we, we oh yeah no I just I I I'm not gonna say anything yeah. smart about this just that that's what was ringing about ringing about the back of my head as I was watching the last third of this movie was we always die when do we get to live that's not the way this particular yes. story was constructed and I yet. I totally hear where you're coming from and that was my first impression as or my first impulse as well however. I don't think that necessarily undoes or undercuts all of the good work that this movie's doing. It's not really his story. He did not get to save his own daughter. He gets a second shot at helping someone else. But through helping someone else, he's helping himself as well. So the part when they're on the porch after Martin is upset and they're just kind of sitting on the porch not at the end but like and it's like the same scene but we've done other stuff and then come back to it the the lines are martin says if you find out who did this i don't care who it is you understand me 
And then Corey says, and they never say it outright. He goes, right where they stand. Mm-hmm. And I really loved that interaction of like, you know that I'm grieving. I'm not going to be able to handle this. You have the skills to do it. Go do this for me and be my friend. Like, so it still is like your white savior, but I don't think it's done like a trope. Well, it felt in to this me, case. exactly. So in hindsight, it really yeah. felt to me like the whiteness was incidental to their shared tragic experience and that was when I was like oh okay and that's why I said like later I was like oh yeah not white savior so much as like reasonable and then I then I was sad when when people went mostly let's be real I was sad when um uh Ben Ben died yeah I was like god damn it that uh, that upset me a lot too um especially the first time I watched it I've seen this three times now but um circling back to a point that I was making earlier but then we went on a really valid tangent so um when when Chip is confronting Corey right you you know what I'm talking about in the back seat when Corey's like I'm gonna go ask him this shit um and Jane's like don't do that fuck don't tell me and he's like well I'm just not gonna tell you then like, I love that, too, where he's like, no, I'm not going to get you in trouble or anything like that, but I'm also going to not do, I'm not going to not do what I want to do. <laughs> so I like that. Um, but when uh, when he goes and trusts, he's, this is a tactic that, like, coaches use against kids who have a lot of teen angst, where they, like, rile them up to get information out of them um, or to make them try harder, basically. Um, it doesn't work on me because I have a really defiant nature, but sometimes, you know, dudes get in their own way and they don't realize what they, they don't know what they don't know. And that's kind of what's happening with Chip in the backseat. So I could see it being outside of it. Um, but Chip immediately plays the race card. I don't know if you guys noticed that when, when Corey is like, um, here's all of the reasons why you're wrong. And then he's like, you're not native. The most native thing about you is your ex-wife. I'm not trying to take a side here, but I think that being, and this is another term that I'm using in air quotes, but being like poor white is also a very difficult position to be in because you do have a privilege that people of color don't have, but you're still not privileged. Does that make sense? Yeah, well, no, I mean, it makes 100% sense. Privileges do not, privilege and disadvantage do not negate one another. That's, right. That's why we have yes. the term intersectionality, but these things compound that yeah. while in the vast majority of ways Corey is privileged in this one respect, he is not. And it it doesn't mean that that means less. It means that you just have your fucking wits about you, about the fact that the way this one thing affects you, imagine dealing with that and this and this and this and this. Like that's, that's all, that's all anyone's asking for. Like, Use your big ass empathetic yeah, I'm, human I'm not brain, talking right? about like in the world at large. I'm talking about in, in this, this one movie where everyone is Native American except for Corey. Right. Well, and so here's where I, I got a little <sighs> watching that. I don't know if you guys are going to be able to hear my weird quick breathing on the show. Actually. Okay. Okay, good. Um, everyone enjoy. So um, was that fundamentally I was watching a white dude smash a brown dude's face into the car seat in front of him. And the white dude isn't even the actual police. And he still like put his hands on and interrogated this person. And I had this very like visceral, like, God damn it. Like I, 
Like you have, like this man has been through so much. This man has like suffered, like, oh my God, I can't imagine losing a child that way. Except that the guy whose face he's smashing just lost his own sister that way. And that was really hard for me. I mean, I understood why Corey was doing it. I understood that in that moment, his grief was secondary to the information that could help them fix this shit. Like, find the fucker and end it. Oh, they didn't approach that well at all. He didn't even know she had died until they were interrogating him. And he just shot his best friend. A horrifying moment. Horrifying. When he starts screaming. Like, I I just... Yeah, that was That was one of those moments where I was like... I. I understand. Yeah, and like grief takes on like so many different forms. And I feel like living in this and we're going to talk about a little bit later as like whether as like a character, but it's it's like another form of grief and I feel like another form of dealing with living in such a a hard place with such hard factors in your life that just like with grief people deal with it differently. So I'm not saying, I'm not justifying Chip and his friends with their lifestyle, but I think it was an asshole thing for him to not blame him, but shove that in his face that way. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Like, I think it's... And I think all of this comes together, right? Like, like from Mary, like, from what Mary Kay shared, right? Like, I see why it worked. Like, that makes total sense to me that like that to get the information. Sure. Exactly. And I understand why the information was the important thing in that moment, because unlike with Corey's daughter, there's a chance here to to like get this guy. But at the same time, you know, he's not this incredible actor. He's like, oh, I'm going to play this like visceral role right here to get this information. You know, that was coming from a real place. And that's like what kind of cause this this reaction in us like when you see this white man beating this brown boy like you know it's kind of coming from like a real real place it's not just not not those specific humans you mean like a real like cultural place right exactly yeah okay yeah yeah okay i thought for a second you were saying like jeremy renner no 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 and i was like there is Plenty to dislike about Jeremy Renner. Um, Folks, as you're listening to this in a few weeks, it's very recent for us that these um, horrifying allegations from his ex-wife have come out. And um, frankly, so recent that we we haven't had much opportunity to discuss them. And they are scary and not okay. And um, yeah, I mean, that that that's all there is to it. Nothing about this episode or this podcast is ever endorsing or like I just no and it also doesn't take away from the good work that the movie is doing exactly it's like saying the Cosby show is bad because Bill Cosby is bad Bill Cosby still did a lot of good work (laughs) Bill Cosby monstrous the Cosby show important for a lot of people and a lot yes yeah a lot of cultural growth this movie I hope impactful i hope it makes an impression on people i hope it makes a difference also jeremy renner almost definitely sucks (laughs) yes Um. so while we're talking about um terrible dudes Mm. um let's talk about the tropes of women in westerns what if i only want to think about madeline khan in uh in uh blazing saddles singing about how she's so tired (laughs) 
Um, I think that's actually kind of a valid well, it's, part it's, of the stereotype of women in Westerns is that they're, they do, they work. Yeah. They are workers. Well, it's such a perfect send up. Like, cause she's supposed to be this like sexy burlesque prostitute. And she's like, I'm just tired. Like, I just want to sleep. And I was like, I mean, fair. Yeah, and I think a lot of the time as well, like, best case scenario, a, a pioneer woman holds it down. Like, that's mm-hmm. the job. Um, best case scenario, she dies. these are typically dies, white women. Yeah, best case scenario, she dies of a heart attack at 50, but her kids are grown enough to keep going. Right. Right? They're holding it down in that case. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and then, um, so I'm thinking of Angelica Houston's character in Lonesome Dove here when I say that. Um but you also have Carla Jean in No Country for Old Men who holds it down. Like, that's what she does. Um, in True Grit, we have Maddie Ross who holds it down. That's what she does. Like, in the, like, though, they, we have that stereotype, or sorry, trope in Westerns. And you also have the hooker with a heart of gold. And I know that's not the right term, but that's the thing that well, exists. That, that's, in, I think that's the, the right terminology for the trope. Yes, right. I don't um, think anyone she, would Usually a she's a victim. She's hard up and she, yeah. No one thinks yeah. that I'm actually saying that. Is that what you're going to say? No, okay, yeah. I, no, I was going to say, um, I don't, I, obviously nobody on this show would describe any sex worker as a hooker. That's not what we're right. doing here. Um, the trope yeah. is hooker with a heart of gold and it is problematic because actual sex workers have to deal with this fucking shit. All the fucking time. Usually, and again, I'm drawing on just like the handful of Westerns that I know that are very formulaic. Um, One of the guys is in love with the hooker with the heart of gold. And she's just like, I am seriously just trying to get by. But if you want to give me extra money, okay. I mean, is that kind of your experience of that trope? Yeah, I mean, that's what I understand it to be. Is that like... I'm a, I'm a good girl who fell on hard times and now right. I'm doing my best and what are I you I mean gonna, that is often what is happening. And what are you going to And if you're going to take me away from all this or if you're going to you know at least acknowledge my humanity then that's all I really needed was to have my humanity acknowledged not leave what is essentially sex slavery because this is 1840 um like yeah and also I mean look, look at pretty woman just watch any of the first six seasons of SVU. Every other episode, yeah. you're going to meet a hooker with a heart of gold. Um, in this movie, though, we don't have that. We have Natalie. And from the jump, Matt, just superwoman. You walked here. You have any idea how good it is to see you? She is impeccable. She is beautiful. She has the best hair she is truly also one of the most attractive human beings i've ever seen in my life yeah like, also the ex-wife fucking gorgeous one of the only people yeah. in the world who has support wearing a middle part because she has that really defined jaw anyway oh, yeah yeah she rocks um, so superwoman and one of my one of like the the most like i don't know I, it was a really ambivalent moment for me in watching the movie every time i saw it because matt jumps up right we think he's dead he jumps up oh. and all of he pulls all of his friends onto him, right? And she you see her look back at him dying and start running. And I don't know if I could do that. Like I don't know if I'm that strong. 
I don't think that it's a shitty thing for her to do. I think it's amazing that no, she could no. in that moment be like, do it, go, he's dead already. Yeah. Um, well, I, she, she thought he was dead 10 seconds before, before, five seconds before it happened. She thought he was right. gone. And I think there's a lot of like that connection and intuition between them. I mean, we, we see them before this moment and how connected they are and how yeah. intimate and open they are with one another. So I do feel like when I saw that, Can I Can we did. just talk about how that's relationship goals yes. right quick? Oh, my God. How he's like, can so you come harder. get him? I don't understand why you won't just God. come get him. That's, like he's so... <laughs> that's why I had to curl up in my seat facing away from the goddamn microphone freaking out for a second. Because I was just like, where is that exact human man? And why ain't he looking for... Why are you checking for me? Where is he? He's out. He's around. He's probably honestly like on an oil site, just waiting for you to show up barefoot. When I'm going, when I'm going barefoot to an oil site, goddamn. Never, just like Jane says, they don't do it barefoot. Um, anyway, uh, one I, one of the things that I wanted to bring up before we move on is, um, and this is one of the most compelling lines, like the thing that Jane is a badass, by the way. Like she's really good at her job, even though she's ill-equipped for this job. Yeah. But when she's in the hospital and she starts crying and she's like, she ran six miles in the snow. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. Like as as Corey is talking to her and reading her that stupid thing. She ran six fucking miles in the fucking snow. You guys. And then saw, saw how far that that boy ran. Like what? He six sucks. feet? Yeah. Yeah. Well, cause he- um, also put the subtitles on for that motherfucker. Yeah. I always have He such- just chortles everything. <laughs> I Where are my boots? Where are my boots? Um he um <laughs> What y'all been doing? I just wanna know what y'all been doing. Is it like that really just- fucked up okay, that I'm well, like see, Mary Kay- in love with a guy named Pete right now too? That like watching no. this was like No, uh, that's uh, normal. Uh, no, no. Pete is a normal human name. That just wasn't a normal it's human. A normal name. Um, like your your man's fine. The the one in the movie is bad. So um, yeah. Also, Mary Kay, I think it's really funny that when you were like just doing like a real exaggerated accent, it just sounded kind of like your family. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Where do you think I learned how to do it? <laughs> yeah. I mean, I'm not complaining. I did, I did put a little more Alabama twang in there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like yeah. Mine's yeah. more relaxed. It's very, I mean, like, dropping the R's and slow. Oh, going. no, you're – I'm not complaining. I love – you know, I love your family. I love how they sound, all that. So, um, but, uh, yeah, I <laughs> – that dude looked so much like a sandbag wearing a wig. <laughs> That <laughs> I wish you guys could see Rachel's face right now. I can barely she see is... Rachel's face. She's doing that thing again where the camera is like all the way off her face. She... Her <laughs> mouth is like, all the way unhinged. So y'all remember when John Bernthal was on Kimmy Schmidt as an Israeli militant operative? Like he he was yeah. like he was like yeah yeah yeah. So I believed that to high hell. So in this scene, when Sandbag Magoo <laughs> somehow didn't die on the very first punch 
from John goddamn right. Bernthal, I was like, uh, right. magical realism. Yeah. No, it's not. No, it's not. It's just the movies. So, um, so yeah, no, I, like that dude just looked so much. Yeah, like, you can't take punches like that and keep going. It was though. like it was you like really you took can't. a like I took a oh, sandbag yeah. and you put a wig on it and then you punched in eye holes with your fingers and then colored them in with a sharpie. And also, isn't it bizarre stuck, how like stuck dude random hair groups though. can have such wavering degrees of attractiveness? Like they can have one smoking hot one in there and then a sandbag. And Actually, just I think friends. they had they had two super attractive <laughs> like guys because they had that tall dude. Um, oh yeah, with the, the other face. white guy. Yeah, oh, if you if you name? like white men, he, if you if you're into the white man aesthetic, he's he's pretty classically handsome. Yeah. yeah. Um. Yeah, oh, no. But two of them were actually. Right, the he was like the two of the rapists the were hot. Standing, yeah. he was like really hot. Yeah, yeah, Dylan, it was like a I big, think. big, tall guy with big, broad yeah, shoulders. I think yeah, it was Dylan. Yeah, yeah he so was like, sexy. as opposed to sandbag man with the sharpie eyes and the wig, and also I think they just like sharpie smeared eyes. and they smeared Elmer's glue on the bottom half of his face, and then just threw cat hair at it and let it land where it yeah. landed. Yeah. In whatever shape. That's another Western trope where you have like the weaselly guy. The weaselly, the weaselly guy. guy. Yeah, yes. It's like the most sense that he would be the one who's like the saddest and the most drunkest and the most miserable. So he's going to be like the worst one. Yeah, the creepiest. Yeah. <laughs> In this frozen hell. <laughs> he sucks. Also, also. You don't have to be here. Go home. <laughs> gentlemen, gentlemen and ladies and everyone, everyone listening know that hot guys can be terrible too they can be downright it's just harder to notice because their face distracts you yeah they're so much fun to look at there are plenty of weaselly guys who turn out to be like decent humans wonderful there are plenty of hot guys who turn out to be the actual worst ted bundy exactly we're just we're just pointing out the tropes we see in movies so before all y'all come at us on twitter please come at us on twitter we really wish our twitter were more active um before all y'all come at us on twitter about how like i'm not that guy we didn't say you were are you a sandbag with sharpie eyes wearing a wig and cat fur on your (laughs) face then we're clearly not talking about you chill the fuck out Yes. Also, I have one more point to make, which is a point I've been trying to make for a long time, but I made a lot of points on the way, so (laughs) it's fine. But um, when, so Jane is asking Corey when, as as soon as she gets to Natalie's body, essentially, how far do you think someone could run in the snow? Right. And um, Corey says, it depends. How how do you measure someone's will to live? Mm -hmm. Uh-huh. Um, that is an homage to the Trail of Tears. Yeah. Wow. So oh, it is, took me three viewings to be like, oh, that's what we're talking about here. Fuck. Oh, it is. It is very much a. That's one of those examples of a. I mean, not homage. That's the wrong word, but it's. Reference to. It is, is oh, an acknowledgement God. of. It is an honor of. Yeah. You know what I'm trying to say? Yes. It's not the right word. It's um No, no, it's in reference yes, to in honor of in 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 memoriam of like yeah, in recognition of um like it's it's one of those moments where a big big thing is very small right here. 
and still true and still true. I'm making hand gestures, which y'all can't see, but that like the big and the small thing are the same thing and both true. Yeah. Um, um, so you may have noticed like it, it's, that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you guys may have noticed that this movie isn't exactly a horror movie, despite its many allusions. That's the word I was looking for. Hey. <laughs> many allusions to the atrocities of humanity. Um, but then, according to one of our former guests, Scott Bradley, nothing is really horror or not horror, and rebranding things, thrillers and westerns, just shames the horror genre. So, um, what elements of horror or fear did you see in this movie, aside from the ones that we've already talked about? Quick plug, if you haven't listened to the episode uh, autopsy of jane doe go check it out um sa bradley is one of the funniest most generous most just like delightful warm bizarre humans you could ever hope to chat with for an hour or two he's like we're so lucky to have had him he's great um so yeah go check it out quick plug quick plug just for him because we love him the end back to Horror, fear, in this movie, go. The weather. Yo. Like the whole atmosphere. Talk about that. Tell us, Boston, tell us about snow. (laughs) God, the silence of snow, like a lot of it, and then the dark, especially. Oh, it's not fun, especially growing up in the South and then being here when the, the big, big, big snow in Boston, like that it got so bad that they had to like, ask permission to like dump it out into the harbor it was too much for them too much for boston that they had to do that yeah that was not fun like it was like towers towers of snowbanks like it was honestly street like many streets were like were like no longer in use and it was like back in the old old days before automobiles that were people were just walking in the streets that was like all over boston it was like an a it was like wild. a true like apocalypse for a little while we had a snow apocalypse in atlanta but it wasn't we because did. of the snow <laughs> well though we had we had a real heavy snow and then i'm talking about after you were here we had another one uh yes i i'm aware of that one well why well we were in the same place we had a real heavy snow but everyone knew it was coming Everyone holed up, and it was fine, and we got, like, a foot of snow, and then it melted away really quickly. Then the next weekend, all the roads froze, so everyone got... because the snow melted during the day, and then it froze into black ice. Exactly. Which is worse than snow. Oh, That's why we can't drive down here, you guys. It's not because we can't drive in snow. It's because no one can drive on black ice. So, in case you were going to give me shit about not being able to drive in the snow, listeners. Barry K is an excellent driver. Uh, no, so everyone got kind of trapped where they were, where their cars were like frozen in and like physically could not like back out of or pull out of whatever spaces they were in because it's so they it's Georgia home in They're, work shoes. The, yeah. the red the red hills of Georgia, like the hills are real. Everyone's car was on a terrible incline or decline. So. Uh, and then you guys got slammed. That was like maybe two years after I left. Like, yeah. that was the well, one I that was... it was just the next year. That was, like, on the news, everything. All y'all were, like, going to fucking, like, convenience stores, random strangers, letting y'all into y'all houses. It was it was incredible, actually. Like, the way people treated each other, it sounded like I, I, was, I wasn't there. Tell me, tell me about it. Tell, tell me about it. Tell me about it. Tell me about it. I actually think that the extreme weather in this movie 
um, was like just watching Corey do that tracking when he's like, you're looking for clues so hard that you're missing all the signs. Like this track right here tells me that she was running. This is where she fell. And I just think that that's really interesting how we think of snow as covering footprints, but really it shows you a lot more Mm -hmm. than it hides. Um, If you know how to look for it, which I don't. Um, Also, snowmobiles are just terrifying in and of themselves. Oh, I love snowmobiles. But then again, my dad's from Wisconsin, so. The gym! Mm. My cousin's husband, Dave, used to. really interesting about not just the weather, but the fact that, so like in Boston, like it's, we get it pretty bad, but it's a lot to do here. There's a lot of community. There's a lot to do here. But this is like a very vacant place where there's nothing. And so when I see Chip and his friends, I say, I, like, I think like, well, yeah. Because like where people are on the vineyard, um, the people who live there all year round, like during when it's not the summertime and there's literally nothing happening during the down season. All of the businesses close and there's literally nothing else to do on the island. So there's a lot of drugs. I'm not saying like, oh, that's a good thing. That's an alternative to your lifestyle that you should go to. But it's a thing that happens. And so in the very end, I'm not agreeing with his justification. But when Pete is like, it's this it's this goddamn land or whatever he says, mm-hmm. I'm not justifying it. You're not condoning it. Yeah. Not <laughs> condoning it. But I do see how a barren land where it's nothing but snow and ice and silence and nothing and no one can drive yeah. people to be fucking crazy and not be yeah. themselves. Well, no, that's that's an incredibly common like in uh in um the uh like opioid epi- epidemic, right? Like yeah. it is it cropped up most significantly, most immediately, longest ago in communities where kids had nothing the fuck to do. Yeah. Yeah. Um, um, that's where the abuse became most obvious immediately because kids were showing up with overdoses. And then that led to the awareness that, oh, adults are abusing. They're just not... They're not showing up on the radar because they're ticking up gradually. They're, you know... Yeah, like... No, that's a, that is a super real thing. And yeah. And what do you do? What what do we do? So quite literally, like your vote, my vote can do nothing and should do nothing. That is sovereign land. Also, it's sovereign land that's not at all supported by any of the systems around it. Yeah. So what do you do? And that's, that's a lot of what I walked away with from this was like, okay, I have a lot to learn. I have a yeah. lot to learn about. Like, yeah, this pointed out a lot of holes in my knowledge. Like the epigraph. Mm-hmm. I was just like, okay. That gotta... made me really upset. Where you guys know what I'm talking about where it's like, uh, so every other demographic knows that women go missing and it's a lot of them. They don't They don't measure it don't for Native American it, yeah. populations. Um, it's... It is really high, and it does go unacknowledged, and that's shitty. Well, we also know that predators go where they can go most efficiently, which is why, like, 
like the, the priesthood was exploited by predators. The priesthood in and of itself is an incredibly meaningful and noble vocation. It was exploited by predators because they knew it gave them a kind of access that they wanted. Priesthood, good. Predators, bad. But predators, I said like epigraph, you guys. <laughs> I meant. I'm in epilogue, <laughs> and then I wrote, I'm stupid, with a T. With a T, stupid. Um, Where are my boots? I'm stupid. <laughs> yeah, in the outline, I had no idea what you were talking about. I thought you meant, like, in the end, like, where you can kind of hear that, like, the voiceover of her poem. The poem. And I'm, like, yeah. in the notes, I'm, like, no, that wasn't working for me. But yeah, the epi- yeah, the epigraph with yeah, the Yeah, no, yeah, the that had me work, shook as fuck. Yeah. Whew. Yeah, no, yeah. I mean, I just... Yeah, like, predators go where they can be exploitative. And they go right. where they get the most access. So, I I would not be surprised if predators who know more than we do are drawn to... To reservations or to access to access to reservations where they know that like yeah well no one's gonna no one can do shit about it if i am a monster here um which i think makes it even it makes it harder for the people who are trying to be good because they have no resources and no support and then these shitty things are happening to them and they react in ways that they wish that they probably hadn't like slamming chip's face into the seat yeah. Um, is that inherently honorable? No. Like I said, do I understand the function? Yeah. Like, yeah. I, I I, know what you're doing there. I just have a knee right. jerk. Yeah. I, But I think that that sort of helplessness, especially for men who are typically tough and very capable, is even harder than pe- for, the, for them than people who are kind of, like Ben says, used to having no help. Mm-hmm. Right, like they're used yeah. to things being shitty, but like when you're used to being very capable and then something shitty happens to you, it hits you harder if you're not used to that kind of tragedy. Um, I mean, well, not, to, not to compare tragedies, just like that's well, no, something I just... that I noticed with Martin and Corey because um, even at the, at the end when Martin is sitting with, the, um, with his death face on, right? Yeah. And uh, Corey goes, well, how do you know that's your death face? And he goes... I don't, you know, I guess because there's no one left to teach it to me. Mm. Right. Like that's, that's a part where I was like, wow, this really sucks. And then also just to kind of lighten the mood whenever he says, I'm going to go pick up chip as soon as I wash this shit off my face. I laughed yeah, aloud because it was so unexpected. It's it kind so, of like brought it into well, like, such a, a, like a solid, like, like a man, like in a clown space for a second. Like, as soon as I wash right. this off my face. Well, it's such a solid, like, yeah, I mean, honor the heritage, also, like, handle the day-to-day practicalities. <laughs> like, go pick up my yeah. kid from prison. Cool. Um, it was a very, like... It's like a Merle Haggard that, song. That, yeah. <laughs> actually, that, that split is really solid. And I think what you were describing earlier, Mary Kay, is that when you have been, when you are, like used to an assumptive position of power yeah. and someone else asking for basic human decency feels like you losing ground. Like it, that's not what's happening. Oh, it's I not a zero wasn't sum. thinking of that. I don't think that's what's happening here. I was referencing the part where um, 
Corey says, go easy on Chip. He's not used to suffering like we are. Oh, no, no. It just made me think of that. That, like... Yeah, but I don't think that's what's happening here. I mean, I think that's what's happening in the world at large. I just don't think that's what's happening in this case, in this movie, which is that they all of their situations suck in different ways. Right. And they're having... And Martin is having a hard time reconciling his own shitty life with his son's shitty life, which he thinks and is in fact much better than his it's still shitty it's just not the same shitty yeah no it just made me think of it and i was like man i i would like to watch this again i mean i say like a lot of it is hard like it's super hard taxing that's why it's good and and hurtful to watch watch and it's honest yeah yeah i mean it's it's it is well constructed it is well performed like there there's technically I see nowhere really to, to fault this this movie or One this story. One of my favorite like production qualities is that they show these really tough men grieving, but they do it like from a respectable distance. Mm-hmm. Like uh, when Martin goes outside and Ben closes the door, but you can yeah. still hear him crying. Yeah. Like when Chip is screaming, but it zooms way back and you hear him over the wind. Um and then you, when Corey and Jane are both falling apart and Jane's like, can I go to the bathroom? And you think that she's giving him space, but she's going to go in the bathroom yeah. and fall apart. Yeah. Like that, uh, all of that I felt like was really respectful and, and authentic. Yeah. I, yeah. I'm curious to see if we were all to watch this again in like five or 10 years, how we all feel about it. A, because we will have all like grown and changed. I mean, so it's always interesting to revisit like something powerful under those circumstances. But I'm also curious to see like as TV and movies keep expanding, like there's so much more opportunity, so much more diverse. Like I, I do you guys feel like that? Like you're seeing more nope. of yourselves or more opportunity? In like five years, in 10 years, I will never watch this goddamn movie ever again. <laughs> that is, that is, oh no, that is more than fair. More I want to give Rachel a chance to respond feverishly to the concept of the rape revenge story. Because I Please. think that's what you've been waiting on, right, Rachel? I don't know if it's so much that I've been waiting to talk about rather than avoid talking about it. Because Okay, well, you don't have as to. As soon as <laughs> I saw I was watching this movie like, God damn, this is not fucking horror. What is, like, why are we watching this? And then I got to this scene. She shows up. On his door. And they did it in the way where you knew this was the moment. You knew this was the flashback. Mm-hmm. You knew something was going to happen. They're in love. This ain't cool. Something, And then he says, you hear the, you hear the, all the, 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 yeah. they're, they're coming. And the she jag goes, wagons. And she says, <laughs> I thought they were staying in town tonight. And he said, I thought they were too. I'm sorry. And then she goes and gets her coat on. And I'm like, no, no, no. No, and I had the no-no feeling from the jump. Like, Charlie, in the eyes of my mother, comes up, starts giggling, already had the no-no feeling. I was not okay with this scene. And not just because of what happened. Very trigger warning. It was not just about what happened, but because the actor that we all love, he always plays the same role. We love him. He's that kind of man that if you fuck with his girl, he don't care about rules, laws. He's going to fuck your shit up. He's going to do whatever he can it's to protect true. his it's woman. True about him. Right? So mm-hmm. they're like they messing with her. He's Pete's messing with her. 
He's fighting to the best of his abilities till he's blacked the fuck out. And he wakes up to his horror to what's happening. And you see him. Like, it's almost like watching it, like, for real. Like, his visceral fighting tooth and nail to get to protect her. And you see him with his eyes, like, these eyes looking at her. Go, go, go. And it just felt so real and so... I was... When, pe- when people talk to me about horror movies, I don't talk about them being scary. They're entertainment. They're fun. I don't find them scary. I find stuff like Ted Bundy to be scary. I find movies yep. like Wind River to be fucking yep. horrifying. This is the scariest yep. movie I think I've seen because of that scene. Yeah. It's horrible. Yeah. Even though... I don't think it was gratuitous, though. No. Yes. And that... I agree. And I appreciated that because a lot of horror movies... Rob Zombie's movies can be gratuitous, yeah. like, with a rape scene. Like, well, like, nasty. So, the scene where, like, her thong is visible, or Elizabeth Olsen's, uh, Jane's thong is visible. Yeah. That's... That is a... That is both a punchline and a jab. hmm mm-hmm. Like, it is amusing, but also, oof. Yeah. The scene where Natalie is getting up and getting dressed or where like someone yanks her pants out. Like, yes, you yeah. can see flesh, but it is bad. Like it is. It is it's not sexy. You, no. You've clearly been avoiding this the whole time. Oh, God. Right. This is this is like this is the beginning of the worst case scenario. Yes. It's terrifying. Yeah. Um. So it's. Yeah. yeah. And it's also I, terrifying. I, I don't have wasn't. It, it wasn't the intention of these people when they came there. Their intention wasn't to cause this crime. The right. scariest part was that it was something that escalated that got out of control, like crowd mentality. That yeah. happens yeah. all the time, and it's, to me, well, the, the most idea, terrifying thing. The idea that someone you've known for however long, that this could be their impulse, mm-hmm. and that all of their friends would just glom onto that impulse but the thing was is that they weren't in on it like even when pete was doing it they were kind of like standing back kind of like they were saying hurry up it's my turn yes oh that's right they were and that's that's what is that's what's especially upsetting to me is the idea that like yeah that it wasn't it wasn't planned it Guys, when we say when we keep, this y'all, opportunity fell in your lap. Ugh, yeah, all y'all. Right. When we keep saying "think like pray," this is what we're talking about. But that, yeah. like, every woman you know is already like bracing. Can I tell you a funny this. thing that happened? Please, because please, I'm trying God. to do it. Do it. So last night I was telling a funny story about how whenever I come into a room, I always check that there's two exits. And then the guy sitting next to me who was black was like, I never do that. And I knew that he said it in like a very deadpan way. And I was like, oh, good for you that you've never had to think like pray. And he goes, he just looked at me real slow and he goes, I'm a black man in America. And I said, that was the joke. (laughs) (laughs) I know. (laughs) Why aren't you doing this, friend? I'm worried for you. I'm worried for you. So, in conclusion, here are some things that I didn't get to say yet that I'm just going to say rapid fire because oh, it's they like, weren't that important. It's like but, the Letterman yeah. top 10? Um, sure. Yeah. So, okay. 
Number one, Corey and his ex wife are still obviously in love, but they don't know how to overcome their grief. Yes. yes. That couldn't fit into my outline. So, okay, we're all sure. in agreement. Great. Yeah. Next. Um, next. So glad there is no romantic subplot with Corey and Jane that would have undermined everything. Oh my God. I, I would have hated it. The whole time so I was watching much. this, I'm like, oh, they're going to bang. It's going to be so awful. And I'm so glad I would have hated happen. it forever. Okay, next. And um, I do love that all of the good guys are super respectful of women as a whole. Mm-hmm. There's not ever really any acknowledgement that Jane is a woman, except for by Martin, and he only says that because she's just insulted him in his grief. That is accurate. She handled okay. that moment terribly. And then immediately was like, I'm really sorry. Like, yeah. I didn't mean to do that. I did it. I'm sorry. It won't happen again. And that's exactly the right way to handle yeah. it. Well, yeah, what else can you do? You like, up. you fucked up? Yeah. Acknowledge it. Amend as much as you can. Go forward. Or is there another one? Ready? Yeah, there's two more. Uh, tracking as a practice is like magic. They just see things that are invisible to everyone else. Even Mahershala Ali in True Detective Ellipsis magic. That's how I've seen it. Because I know nothing. So that worked on me. Ready? Last one. John Bernthal. Ooh, we. He's so cuddly and affectionate, but I do love watching John Bernthal kick ass shirtless. I won't lie. Yes. All of that is the most accurate human truth ever spoken. <laughs> That's the universal truth, motherfucker. That's him in like any film. That's him in Universal any Truth film. He does that same role, and it's just so goddamn yummy. The Universal He's Truth yummy. is that John Bernthal should pull my hair. <laughs> <laughs> um. Okay, there is one more, but it's not. It's not funny. It's just like an acknowledgement of my literary nerdiness. Do you want me to skip it? No. Nope. Tell but what I was going to say is the attention and focus is very responsible and it doesn't do any of the bullshit romanticizing of other Westerns of like, that's a rum bottle that Mary's unscrewing very loudly and making this nutso face. <laughs> yeah, she looks like the Joker, but like the new Joker with Walking Phoenix. Like, <laughs> How very dare you? I clearly have Heath Ledger's dimples. Um, also, um, wait, I was no, just fucking I want to go y'all. back to the romanticism. Yeah, let's talk about so, Yes, yes, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. Boring, capital R romanticism, romantics, not rom, not little R romance. Not, not sexy Big times. R nature, capital N nature. Yes, yes. Um, so a lot of the first romantics were like, nature is so beautiful, back to nature. I'm going to go home for dinner on Sundays and get the paper, but no one will know that when they quote me when they're 18. Um, that's a direct dig <laughs> to Walden Pond. Um, you should see the look on some of my students' faces when I'm like, you know he went home for Sunday dinner, right? Like, it wasn't, like, a survivalist thing. He was just chilling by himself, just like everyone when they hit age 30 and just want to watch Netflix instead of he going out on a Saturday couldn't, night. He couldn't be asked. He couldn't be bothered. Anyway, so not those romantics. I'm talking, like... Mary Shelley romantics. Yeah. Like Lord That's our Byron. Bitch. Oh, not romantics. that one. Mary Shelley's uh-huh. our bitch. The other one, mm, she's less a bad so. bitch. She lost her virginity on her mother's grave. I know. Vessa 
That's a dark hoe. Who was a suffragette? That's a dark hoe. I like her. She's the baddest Lord bitch. Byron Kajol. had orgies at a lake house. That sounds fun, which is why, like, maybe his poetry could have been less bleak. <laughs> like, if that's bleak, your life. A lot of that had to do with, like, the danger of nature. Like, being, respecting it out of fear. And I feel like that's what this movie, like, if you're going to make it, like, a ro- romantic, capital R, it's going to be more Mary Shelley mm. romantic than, like. Nature is terrifying and. So also yeah. you're saying if we were to do a seance, we're going to bring back Mary Shelley, of course, and not Lord Byron. I and ain't I'm- bringing back. Mary Kay does not fucks with the occult, Rachel. You should know this. I was going to say, like, that's not, that's not happening. Also, you like. You can do it. I, I, not I'm up. not. So you're not saying, okay, so Mary Kay, if I show up to your doorstep and I have Mary Shelley with me, you ain't going to let us in? Hell no. Not in the house. She can. She can it's talk Mary at you Shelley. through she a gonna fucking do? window. She's like on your side. That may be you true, but then you let. Spirits. But you then you let tell. a spirit in. No, I don't fucks with that. No. Nope. No. See, here's the thing. Mm-hmm. I'm not religious no more, but like, I swear, I still have that like trendy superstition where it's like, mm, I'm just gonna keep my personal space a certain way. So, like, when I lived in that house All in Wisconsin, right, so the there was a ghost already there. Shelley. I'm cool with that. Look, look, look. When I lived in that house that already had a ghost in it, fine. But my own house, when I get to pick, spirit Free. Okay, well, I'm taking all the pics. Spirit Febreze. My party with Mary Shelley is going to be on the gram, and y'all's FOMO is going to be through the roof. I'm just saying. <laughs> oh, you, you think Mary Shelley going to show up on the gram? Nah, man. She got a secret Snapchat, and that's it, like Beyonce. <laughs> it's like the Illuminati. <laughs> Mary Shelley, Beyonce is on Instagram, you dumbass. No, no, but she has, no, she has a secret Snapchat. That's like all her like actual candidates, not all her post shit. Oh, that's probably true. I believe no, it, that. No, it, it um, is So true. what movie are we doing next? Oh. Oh my fucking God. Guys, so you've heard many times that I want to do an episode about gremlins because I'm excited. Anyway, Mary Kay always refused to do this. And when we were invited to Spooky Empire, I made sure to take advantage of my very first panel because Mary Kay was not on it. And I was in front of a bunch of people so I could just really run the room. Because while we were first invited and on a real high and so excited on the phone, I was like, hey, if we take a poll at the convention and they say Gremlins is a horror movie, can we do an episode? She was like, yeah, sure. Because we were high on excitement. But then I did that. And the poll came back really conclusively that Gremlins is horror. Also, this episode comes real close to my birthday. So we're doing Gremlins. That was that was that was the whole thing. That was the whole thing. If you were at Spooky and you helped this happen, thank you. I love you. The end. December 6th. Gremlins. And please go rate and review and subscribe to our podcast. Please do. And Tell your best friend. Your very Tell your best, best friend, friend and their and also friend your and least friend too. Yeah, and Tell your um, enemies. 
tells your enemies. Um, thank you guys. So, especially all of our new, we've we've clearly got a bunch of new listeners. Thank you so so much. We love. We worship. Yeah, you. and if you have special requests for movies, let us know. Follow us on Twitter. Follow us on Instagram. Respond to our shit. Let us know what you're into, and um, yeah, just keep telling friends because we're so happy to have all of our new friends, which are you. Yes. Yeah. Stay spooky, bitches. Stay spooky, Woo! bitches. Love y'all. Bye. Bye. Bye.